Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. You guys seem like you're awesome. Everybody get enough rain this weekend to last you a while? Yeah? Good, good. Well, I want to start off this morning by talking to you about a time when I was 19 years old. I was a youth pastor in Morris, Minnesota. And there was a certain a particular night after a youth, late night youth service that um, I went, I decided to drive two hours south to my parents' house, which was in Brookings, South Dakota. I got there about 1.30 in the morning. I crashed. And then I woke up the next morning at 5 a.m. and I took another hour drive south to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And when I got to Sioux Falls, I stayed there for about an hour, but I had a bunch of church meetings the next day. And so after staying there in Sioux Falls for an hour, I packed up my car and I turned right back around and I went three hours north back to Morris, Minnesota. Why would I do that? What's the purpose? Why would I spend the time? Why would I spend the gas money? Why would I put miles on my car? I was motivated, people. There was a pretty brunette who was getting off a plane, coming back from England, and I hadn't seen her for a couple of weeks. And uh, I was motivated to see her, so I didn't care how much it cost. I didn't care how much sleep I lost. I wanted to see her, and now she's sitting on the front row this morning, so it worked. It was worth it. Totally worth it. Motivated. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Are you motivated by fun? Are you the kind of person that is always looking for the next exciting thing? Are you looking for the next party? Or are you looking for the next just fun event that you can hang out in or hang out with? Or always want to get a group of people together? Is fun something that you're just always looking forward to? Is that the the kind of the next thing for you? Are you motivated by relaxation? Are you the kind of person that just wants to get all the hard work done so that you can get home and you can kick off your shoes and watch Netflix or, you know, if you want to just, maybe you just want to get past all the hard stuff so you can just jump into a big bubble bath and turn the jets on and say, ah, remember the old commercials, Calgon, take me away. That's old school. <laughs> um, but, but is relaxation, your are, you, are you motivated to just get to the next vacation so you can just sit on the beach and do absolutely nothing? Are you motivated by a relationship like I was motivated by a relationship? Is it, is it a guy or a girl that, that really motivates you and you know, makes you do things that you wouldn't normally do? I think it was Tim McGraw, he wrote a song a while back and said, I'm, I'm, I'm holding umbrellas and opening up doors and cleaning my floors and, and all kinds of, I can't remember the name of that song, but you know, he was doing things for a girl that he'd never done before because you know, he was motivated. That kind of motivation can get a middle schooler, to t- a middle school boy to take a shower, <laughs> right? That's motivation. Can all the moms say amen? <laughs> what are you motivated by? Are you motivated by being the best at something? Does that get you fired up? If you can just be the best at something, does success motivate you? Are the kind of person that always has to have a project to conquer or looking to to work as hard as you can for the next promotion or the next big thing? Are you a person who just, you have to have something that you're successful at? Are you the kind of person who just starts businesses like Tim Neighborhouse? He just, they just fall out of him. He just starts a new business all the time. Is success a motivator for you? What what motive, what do you you ever think about what motivates you? Most of us probably don't. We just kind of do our thing and don't really put a lot of time 
of think, into thinking about it, but what is it that you spend a lot of time on and what is it that you spend a lot of money on? That's probably a good indicator of what motivates you. Pastor Barry started this short sermon series a couple of weeks ago called Motivated, and he not only talked about the things that motivated us, like we talked about this morning, but he talked about the things that motivate us as a church. What is our reason for being? And any church that exists should have a reason for being. And, and so what is that motivates us at First Assembly? Well, we broke it down to a mission statement that comprised, is comprised of three things. To rescue, which Pastor Barry talked about a couple of weeks ago. To develop, which is what we're going to be hanging our hats on this morning. And to deploy. So to rescue, to find those who are in need of spiritual rescue because if you don't know Jesus, you're lost. Is that right? Right. And so we're about rescuing people and bringing them to Jesus so they can discover the kind of amazing Savior that we've come to know and to love and to give our lives serving. Or to develop, so to rescue, to develop. To develop is, like I said, what we're going to be talking about, but it's, it's growth, it's change, it's becoming more and more like Him day in and day out. And then to deploy. Each one of you has giftings and talents and, and even experiences that you've been through that God is calling you into a unique, unique ministry. He's got something crafted just for you. I mean, his, his number one purpose for you is to be as close to him as you can. And we, so we, we deploy you into that and we deploy ourselves that way. But there's also a unique calling that God has. All the giftings that he's given you, the talents he's given you, and even the hard times and experiences that you've been through have crafted you into a unique person that's uniquely fit to reach this world in a unique way for Jesus. So that's being deployed. We're going to be talking about that next week. But, but for this week, we learned what it means to rescue two weeks ago, but the second part of our division, or I'm sorry, of our vision, develop, what, what does that mean when we talk about developing in the church world? What does that look like? Well, when we say developing, when we say rescue, develop, develop means growth in Jesus. It means discipleship. It means to look more and more like him, like I said before. And when we're talking about growth in Christ, I mean, there's a really almost a literal component to it because Jesus in John 3, 3, he's having a conversation with this Pharisee, this, this teacher of Jewish law, and his name is Nicodemus. And in the midst of this conversation, Jesus said something that just blew Nicodemus's mind. He said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus didn't understand it. He said, well, how can I... How can I go into my mom's uterus and be born again? Yeah, I just said uterus. That was kind of weird, wasn't it? <laughs> it wasn't even in my notes. That's a freebie. How can I be born again? Nicodemus didn't understand it, and obviously we probably wouldn't either. And Jesus was using it as a metaphor, but at the same time, it wasn't just a metaphor. Because when we're born again, he, he was talking about being born again, not physically, but born again spiritually being born again. And the Bible has a lot to say about being born again spiritually. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and this is the amplified version, so it, it adds a little bit um, in the brackets just to kind of help explain the Greek a little bit more. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is, grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as a savior, he is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit, Catch that, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition, have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. So 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new 
creation. Some versions say a new creature. The old has gone. How many of you are excited that your old life is gone once you are in Christ? Is anybody excited about that this morning? I'm excited about that. That means all the old sin, all the old shame, all the old stuff that you're embarrassed of, all the stuff that, that you look back now and you go, oh, man, that was me. That stuff is gone. The Bible says that Jesus took that stuff and he separated as far as the east is from the west. He said that he takes those sins that you committed before he came to him and he throws them into what's called the sea of forgetfulness so far down that they'll never be remembered against you again by the Lord. Can somebody say amen to that? That means that God is not looking at your past to define who you are in the present, nor is he consulting your past to decide what your future is going to be. Your past is in the past. When God looks at you, he sees the blood of his son and he sees perfection. That's pretty awesome stuff. That's called justification. That's a big fancy theological term for just as if I had never sinned. God looks at you and he sees his son, he sees perfection. There is nothing that you can do in the moment of justification at salvation to be any more justified than you are. There's nothing you can do. And from that point on, there's nothing you can do to be more justified than you are. But there's a secondary process that God takes us through when we're reborn or we're born again, and that process is called sanctification. It's another big theological term. And sanctification is the process by which you start out as a baby, you are reborn, spiritually speaking. You start out as an infant in Christ. The Bible talks about it, being an infant in Christ. You start off as an infant and you continue to, through the process of discipleship and growth and development and being built, you grow and you grow and you grow and you look more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. Does that make sense? Justification, sanctification. That's the process that the Lord takes us through. And sanctification is what we're going to be talking about this morning. So when you, look at it, when you, when you think about a baby being born, naturally speaking, because we know that when we're born again, we are really infants in Christ. But, but naturally speaking, you know, when we had babies, when, when our oldest son Malachi came on the scene and we had him, we had a doctor's appointment like a day or two later. And then like we had a doctor's appointment like a day or two later. And then we had a doctor's appointment the next week. And then a doctor's appointment the next week. And I'm like, every other time we turned around, I felt like we were going to doctor's appointments. So you go into these doctor's appointments with a newborn if you've never done this. And the first thing they do is they check their height and their weight. Okay, right? And then they put them and then they say, you're in whatever percentile for weight and whatever percentile for height. And our kids were always like in the third percentile for weight. And I don't know what for height, probably not very high either. But... They check those stats, and those are very important, right? Because of the baby, basically what, they're asked, what, they, what they want you to come back and see is, is the baby growing? Is the baby gaining weight? How many people know that nobody checks to see anymore if I'm gaining weight? Nor are they happy about it when I do. <laughs> but that's the one time in your life that people are excited when you're gaining weight. Because if a baby isn't growing and a baby is not gaining weight, then they're labeled failure to thrive, and they'll end up back in the NICU or back in the hospital, and it's not good, right? And if that baby doesn't receive nourishment, if that baby doesn't grow, then that baby eventually will die. Spiritually speaking, when we are born again, we are infants in Christ, and if we don't Similarly to the natural world, if we don't continue the growth process in our, in our lives, in our spiritual lives, in our relationship with Jesus, growing in discipleship, we will have failure to thrive. And really, there's, there's really, when you look at it, I mean, let, let's, let's back up for a second. Jesus told us 
that we need to be, I want to show you where Jesus told us, I guess, where we need to be growing. So if you look in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Last thing he says to them before he leaves the earth, his last bit of instruction, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call this the Great Commission. So he says, go, he tells the disciples, go make disciples. Well, how many know you can't make a disciple unless you've been a disciple yourself, right? And discipleship is all about following Jesus. It's all about growing in him. So here's Jesus saying, go make disciples, like grow people up in the faith so that they can go make more disciples like you. And the process just continues and continues and continues. But growth in the Christian world, it's just not optional. Like in the natural world, you've got to grow or you're going to have failure to thrive. As a Christian, you've got to grow. And that growth process can take a long time. And, and really, I mean, the growth process as a Christian takes all of your life. But the growth process is kind of up to you as you partner with the Holy Spirit. You can grow really fast. I've seen Christians that grow really, really fast. And so it's kind of confusing when we look at this term elder in the Bible and we think, because we think elder, we think elderly, we think older people. But in the spiritual world, your growth process isn't a factor of time necessarily. It is a factor, a little bit of experience, but your growth in the spiritual world is more a factor of your ability and your willingness to partner with the Holy Spirit to let him do what he wants to do. So I've seen young people who are elders because they've decided to just get on fire for God and they let him clean house and they listen to him, they obey the Holy Spirit and they just continue to grow and grow and grow. Likewise, I've seen people that are old, you know, I'm not gonna give any ages because I don't wanna make you feel bad this morning, but I've seen older people who have been sitting in a pew their whole life, and sure, they come to church week after week, but they just haven't grown in their spiritual life. They've just kind of maintained, or they've been stable, or they've just kind of sat there. So it's not a function of time, but it's a function of your ability to go after God and partner with the Holy Spirit to make sanctification happen. There's really three types of Christians when it comes to growth. There's those who live out their lives and walk the growth process on a daily basis who are mature Christians. They're the ones who have gone after God. They've listened to the instruction of the Holy Spirit. They're obedient to him. They follow God's commands. And when the, the stuff in the world comes, it doesn't shake them. When new ideas and philosophies come, they've, already, they've been in the word, so they know how to handle truth. They know how to filter truth. They know what the kingdom of God looks like, and they just they don't get rocked by the world. They're mature Christians. That's one type. There's a second type of Christian that calls Jesus Savior, and they're excited that they have salvation. They're excited that they've been rescued from hell, and they're excited that, that, they've, that they've got salvation. I mean, they're excited about that part of it. But then when it comes to calling Jesus Lord, and what does that mean? That means that God asks them to do something. That means making God uh, commander over your entire life, every situation, and making him the CEO of every situation in your life. They don't do it. They just are happy with salvation. And then they, they may come to church week after week after week, but they're babies. And honestly, if they continue in that process they will at some point probably lose their salvation because they're not being obedient to the Holy Spirit. Then there's a third type of Christian. I see a lot of Christians in this category. They start growing and they're doing really well and they start getting discipleship and they start moving in the right way, but then they get stuck. And there's a lot of reasons people get stuck. One of the reasons people get stuck is they get offended. They get offended. If you're in church and you have people that love you, you might get offended. And people that get offended by other people in church, they sometimes get stuck and they can't grow because, listen to me, church, here's, here's the deal. We always say don't judge, right? Don't judge, don't judge. Do you know the Bible tells us as Christians that we are to judge each other? 
Did you know that? As Christians, not, you don't judge people who are non-Christians. You judge Christians. The Bible tells us, I can show you scripture where it says it, judge one another. So if you have people in your life who love you, if you have people in your life who you trust, and they, they, will, they may say something to you at some point that you don't want to hear. And sometimes when people hear those things, they get offended. I remember one time I was in uh, a program for ministry school, and my directors brought me in. They said, Jared, um, you know, we, we see a lot of potential in you. God's got a lot of gifts for you. But they said, you, gotta, you have an issue you need to work on. I said, you're really, you're reactive. And I was like, I'm not reactive. <laughs> Scared some of you, didn't I? No, I didn't do that. I was calm. Uh, they said, you're reactive. We want to see you be proactive. We don't want to see you sit and complain about things. We want to see you be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And I came out of there and I was like, oh, oh, hurt me. I got hit. I got hit real bad. And um, I got out of there and, and I, I, after I, I, was, I was a little upset leaving that office. And I took a little bit of time and I thought and I prayed and I reflected. And I, and I, I, I let the Holy Spirit show me that they were exactly right. That was exactly what I was doing. And so um, I, I listened. I listened to him. But you might have people in your life that tell you things that you don't want to hear. And man, I'll tell you what, um, it can be tough, but it's a good thing. How many know we have blind spots in our lives sometimes? We don't always see things in our lives that other people see. Here's a really good practice, and this isn't even in my notes, but here's a good practice. If you are someone who wants to grow in your relationship with the Lord, find someone who you respect in the Lord, someone who's a mature Christian, and ask them, and make sure that they spend a lot of time around you so they know your life. Say, hey, I, I feel like I, I, th- I probably have some blind spots in my life. Can you help me identify some of those blind spots so I can work on them? That's a really good, that's a really healthy practice um, if you want to really grow in the Lord. But, so there's those people who just, they, they walk out of the growth process because they get offended. There's also people that they come to an impasse. And they're just not willing to go any further. And that can look a lot of different ways in a lot of different scenarios. You know, there was a young man who Jesus had a conversation with. He was a rich guy. And Jesus gave him an invitation that not very many people got. Jesus literally said, follow me. You can follow me and my disciples. There could have been another disciple among the disciples. But this rich man, this rich kid who came to him, this guy said to Jesus, hey, I, I, I want to know what I need to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, follow the commandments. Follow the commandments that are laid out in the law. He said, I've done all that since I was a kid. And Jesus said, you got one more thing to do. Go sell everything you have. Come and follow me. And you know what the guy did? I mean, how many of you, if Jesus said, come and follow me, you would follow him? This guy had an opportunity to be the next disciple. And he said, he went away sad because he wasn't willing to part with the things that he had. Sometimes Jesus tells us hard things. Do you know how many times Jesus rebuked the disciples? All the time. He hung out with them for three years, and you can see time and time and time again in the Gospels where he goes after, he gets after Peter, or he gets after John, or they have a crazy philosophy from the world, and he has to beat it down, and he rebukes him. He actually called Peter Satan. Did you know that? He said, get behind me, Satan. If you think you're offended, how many people have called you Satan before, right, in the church? He had every right to be offended, but he didn't get offended because it was the Lord, and he knew that what he was doing wasn't in line with God's will at that moment. So you have to understand that when it comes to God... Or I'm sorry, when it comes to growth, that there's times that you might come to an impasse when God asks you to do something, and sometimes people just don't get past that. They just, you know, maybe it's unconfessed sin that they're not willing to confess or they're not willing to move on from, and that's it. And then they can't grow anymore. Maybe someone suffers a hurt or loss so deep that they just don't move on. Sometimes people lose a loved one, and maybe they don't even blame God, but they just can't get past it in order to continue to grow. We have a great program called Grief Share. If you've ever lost someone, we do it about once a year. 
um, it just helps in that, that way of life of, of processing grief so that you can make the next steps and move on. Some people just get lazy and stop putting forth the effort. There's people that sit in these pews and at one time you were on fire for God and you were loving Jesus and you were growing in him and things were happening and then for one reason or another you just kind of stopped and you're just kind of sitting there and you just kind of have become lazy. Guys, discipleship, discipleship is hard. Change, discipleship is change and change is not easy, change is hard. I want you to watch this clip. It's about a five-minute clip, but I want you to, to turn your attention to the screen and watch it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your Son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. That's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Okay, okay. Um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh. Why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh. Okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. What gave it away? You answered my question with a question. I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up. Here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm going to make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Wait, wait. What are these about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running, I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward. But I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here and maybe four to five, Maybe eight lines right here. That would be awesome. You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. The platypus? All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel. No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. Mm. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, you compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Well, time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. <sighs> Hang on a second. I mean, I, I got to admit, I, I feel like you've been doing some great work and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? 
I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends, and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um, it's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know. I'll stay right here and then, you That's know. That's just it. You never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things in your life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. See, it's a process. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish. It's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever going to hear is at the end of your life when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize. Heavenward. Discipleship is not an easy process, but it's a necessary process, and, and really it's an exciting one as well. <clears throat> we're not going to thrive without growth, right? Just like a baby would in the natural, we're not going to in the spiritual. So the question then becomes, how do we get built in Christ? Win, build, send. How do we build, how do we get built in Christ? How do we grow and how are we discipled through Christ? Well, there's three areas that I want to talk to you about today areas and in ways that we get built in this process that we call sanctification or looking more like Jesus. The first one is that we get built in the words. I'm going to give you a disclaimer here. I'm going to take a long way around here, but just stick with me. I think you'll appreciate it when we get to where we're going. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, and we all with unveiled face, keep that in your head, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. So this verse, to give you a little bit of context, before it, Paul is talking about a time in Israel's history when they were in the desert, and they had just come out, and Moses was invited to go up to a mountain with God, literally meeting God, like literally meeting him face to face. And at the end of 40 days, when Moses came back down from the mountain, because he had been with God, he would saw the glory of God, he was literally, his face was literally glowing. So much so that they had to put a veil over his face because the Israelites couldn't look at his face. It was too bright. So they put a veil on his face until that glory finally faded away. And so that's what it says unveiled. The word that part where it says unveiled face, that's what that means. But this verse tells us that we are being transformed into the same image of God from one degree of glory to another. So what that means is we're looking more and more and more like Jesus. We're being transformed to look more and more and more, kind of like this video was showing, more and more and more like God's son through, the pro through this transformation process. But then the question becomes, okay, so that we're being transformed, but how does that transformation happen? What is it, where, where does that come from? What does that look like? Well, if you take the word transformed, you, you 
Roll back to Romans 12, 2, and it says this. Paul, the same author, says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. Did you catch it? How does the transformation happen? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the renewing of the mind is where transformation takes place, right? The renewing of your mind. So then, you ever like, you ever, you ever look at the Bible sometimes, you just scratch your head and you're like, I, doesn't, I don't understand it. <laughs> Anybody else or just me? So this is one of those areas where you're like, okay, so we know that, we know that there's transformation that gets us, that, that we want that transformation process to happen so we can look more and more like Jesus. And we know that comes for the renewing of the mind, but how do we renew our mind? There's no explanation in that verse of how we renew our mind. Let's dissect the verse just a little bit and let me show you where that comes from. So when you look at the verse, the first part of the verse is a compare and a contrast. So Paul is saying, do not conform to the pattern of this world, that's the negative, but conjunction, which means the opposite is coming, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a compare and a contrast. So it would be like saying, don't be fat and lazy by sitting on the couch, but instead go to the gym and get shredded, okay? That's a compare and a contrast. Yeah, I got to literally flex right there. I know it didn't mean much, but. Um, or you can say, um, or a compare and contrast would be, don't spend your money on a cat, but instead, literally spend your money on anything else, right? That's a compare and a contrast. Cat, cat people are gonna hate me. I'm gonna end up, one of these days, I feel like I'm gonna have like 15 cats on my doorstep one day. But it's a compare and a contrast. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's got the negative and the positive, or actually the polar opposite, so that butt contraction makes it an opposite. So, but, but it's still a little bit confusing because it doesn't explain renewing your mind, but I'm getting there. It's comparing opposites. So if we look at the verse again, we see that it contrasts, don't follow the patterns of this world. Do you notice that he puts a this in there? He doesn't just say, don't conform to the patterns of the world. He says, don't conform to the patterns of this world. Why does he specify this world? That must mean that there's another world, right? Does that make sense? So when he says this world, he says, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but there's another world that you should conform to the patterns of. And what is that world? It's the kingdom of God. Yeah, it's heaven. It's the kingdom of the Lord. So don't conform to the world's patterns, but be conformed to God's patterns, God's kingdom patterns. Where do we find out about the kingdom of God? How do we know how the kingdom of God operates? Because just like this world, the kingdom of God has laws, and the kingdom of God operates in a certain way. But how do we learn that? Where do we go to find that out? We go to the Word. We go to the Bible. The Bible talks about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was the number one thing that Jesus talked about. It's the first thing he talked about. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he talked about the kingdom more than he talked about anything else in his ministry. That was his number one topic. So where do you go to find out about the kingdom? Where do you go to renew your mind? You go back to the word of God. That's where the, that's where the transformation takes place. That's how you look more and more like Jesus. And I don't really have the time for this, but I thought this was so cool when I was studying this passage out. I want to share it with you. I'm going to do a jewelry and connect the dots for you. That word transformation in Romans 12, 2 is only used one other place in the Bible, and that are actually two other places, um, both in Matthew and Mark, when it talks about this event that happened that we call the Mount of Transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples were up on, the, on, on a mountain with Jesus, a cloud settled down. And all of a sudden, Jesus became transformed before their eyes, and it said his face shone like the sun. Does that ring a bell? 
Remember when Moses was up on the mountain with God and his face shone so brightly they had to put a veil on it? And now it tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we who with unveiled faces are being transformed and look more like, and we get transformed from glory to glory to glory to look more like him, but our faces are unveiled so that people can see Jesus through us. So when we're in the, when we're in the word, church, we're gonna have so much Jesus on us that they are going to see it in us and they are either gonna be one, really offended by that, which people are, or two, they are going to be drawn to the Jesus that's in us, but it comes from renewing your mind in the word. Does that make sense, church? That's one of those times when I'm studying the Bible and I'm going, oh, because it's great. And I'm, I'm like, God, revelation, I love it. Number two, not only do we get built in the word, but we get built in the fire. If maturity in Jesus is the goal, now we said that's the goal, right? To be a mature Christian. Well, if we go to the word of God, we can find a verse that talks about how to be a mature Christian. It's found in the book of James. And I want to take a different way to get there. I want to reverse engineer spiritual maturity, Okay. So let's look at James chapter one, verse four. It says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, everybody say mature, and complete, lacking nothing, or not lacking anything. So we just found it, right? Let perseverance finish its work, then we can be mature, right? Yay, but there's more to it, right? Where does perseverance come from? Well, let's go look at James one, three. It says, this is the verse before it. That's what the three means, it comes before the four. Because you know the testing of your faith develops, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the testing of your faith produces perseverance, right? So we know that perseverance beget, uh, begets, wow, that's really Old Testament. We know that perseverance produces maturity, but what produces perseverance? The testing of our faith develops perseverance, but what does the testing of our faith mean? What does that look like? Again, does the Bible tell us, well, let's revert, keep reverse engineering. Let's go to James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. So the trials of many kinds, the hard times in our life, are the tests of faith that produce perseverance, which in turn produces maturity. Does that make sense, church? Maturity comes from trials and the testing of our faith that develops perseverance in those trials. So when you are faced with a hard situation, and here's the deal, we learn about God as infants, we study about him, we learn about him, we, we get ourselves in the word, we understand and we learn how to pray and we depend on the Holy Spirit and it's like things are great and that's good and then it's, it's like we're studying for the test and then a trial comes along and that's where the rubber meets the road. That is the, fires, fires and trials are the tests of life. And all of that stuff that we learned before, that's the time we put it into practice. You know, when we're reading things about how good God is, that's when it's put to the test. When you find yourself in a sickness that you feel like you're not gonna recover from, or you get a bad report from the doctor, or you lose your job, or your husband or wife walks out on you, that's when you, that's when that verse about God's goodness gets put to the test. And you discover what you really know and what you really believe because can you walk that out in your mind and can you walk that out in your day-to-day -day life? That's where maturity is, that's where maturity is produced in those trials. It's built in the fire. So when you go through trials, I want you to, I want you to think about them differently from here on out. I don't want you to center yourself and focus on yourself and say, God, why is this happening to me? But rather, I want you to ask the question, God, what are you going to produce in me? And see that trial as a test because you know on the other side of it, if you've, if you've passed that test, you're gonna perse get perseverance. And when you have perseverance, you're gonna have 
uh, maturity in Christ. That's going to build you in Christ. You get built through that fire. So embrace those trials. Embrace those challenges. Sometimes we pray for comfort, or, or sometimes we pray when we're really uncomfortable for a way out of the situation. And I understand that, and I guess there's really nothing wrong with that, but sometimes I wonder if we shouldn't pray that God teaches us what he needs to teach us through the midst of those, of those circumstances instead of just praying for a way out of those circumstances. Number three, we get built in the body. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Any Christian who says they don't need the church is missing out on one of the greatest growth tools God's given us for discipleship. I can't tell you how many times I've been challenged by conversations I've had with one of many of you sitting in this room this morning or online. When I've talked with you in the four years, I've talked with you maybe in the bistro, maybe I've talked with you after a class, maybe I've talked to you just out at an event or a birthday party, and I've been challenged so many times by brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and I think to myself, what if I wasn't in relationship with these people? I would have missed that chance that God had, me, had for me to grow. I would have missed a word that someone had for me. I would have missed a challenge, some kind of challenge or some kind of encouragement that someone wanted to give me. Sometimes they didn't even know that they were doing it. But if, we, if we're not in relationship with the body, we miss out on those opportunities because it is built in the body. Jesus' strategy, think about this, was to build a group of 12 guys through relationship. That was his strategy to reach an entire world. That's what he did. He got a group of 12 guys, let them follow him around for three years, and that's how he changed the world. Think of what would have happened if the disciples said, nah, I don't want to be part of that group. There would be no church today. Because they're the ones who carried out the mission of the church. Now, understand, understand Jesus is bigger than that. God's bigger than that. But you understand my point. What if the disciples would have just said, no, I don't want to do that? It would have had lasting repercussions. That's why I believe the best growth happens in the midst of relationship. One of my favorite things that we do as a church are life groups. And guess what? They're coming back this fall. And we're really, really excited that our growth groups are going to be happening this fall. And if you've never been a part of a life group, get in a life group. They are a blast, and you will get to know people in this church. That's, that's the best way, I think, to get to know people in this church is by life groups. So get yourself, whether it's life group or whether it's some other way, shape, or form, get yourself into relationship with other believers. And it doesn't just have to be people in this church, although this is your church, so you should be in relationship with these people, but get yourself into relationship with the body of Christ because you grow when you're in relationship. I don't know how many times I've been in a conversation with someone who's a Christian, and we can start off talking about something completely unrelated, but so many times it ends up back on scripture or it ends up back on something God's doing, or it's a testimony that shared that encourages people but get yourself in relationship it's how we grow it's organic and it's what Jesus meant for us because he modeled it with his disciples get in relationship with other believers well that's pretty much all I have for you guys today but I want to close up by just asking you this morning are you motivated to grow in Jesus I hope that you are I showed you three ways that we grow as Christians you know baby Christians who don't grow are going to find themselves in a dangerous place when they have to answer to God someday so don't let anything keep you from stepping forward. And I know there's people that can hear my voice this morning who have kept themselves from stepping forward and they've kept God out of certain areas of their life because for whatever reason, they just can't step forward. And I wanna let you know this morning, it's time. God says it is time for you to step again. It is time for you to move again. It is time for you to start growing. So if you need to forgive a person, if you need to forgive an offense, maybe if it's even just in your own heart, then forgive that offense and grow. In Jesus' name, grow. Whatever the excuse is, whatever the reason is, there's no reason that should keep you from growing in Jesus Christ.
We as a church go out of our way to offer you resources to grow in this place, from preaching to Wednesday growth groups to life groups to ultimate journey classes. We even have hundreds of hours of on-demand sermons on our website, not to mention we have a subscription to something called Right Now Media, and there's literally thousands of hours of incredible Bible study from people all over the world, great teachers of the word that are right there at your fingertips, so there really is no reason not to grow. And it's not all about avoiding the bad either. I want to leave it on a positive note this morning. It's not just about the fact that if you don't grow, you're not going to thrive. If you jump into growth, there's a full life that Jesus promises us in John 10.10. He says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. We don't have to wait to heaven to get our fullest life. We can live a full life on this earth. There's a fulfillment and a joy that comes when we grow in Jesus and we look more and more and more like him. How many people know that people like you a lot more if you look more like Jesus and less like yourself around them? People are attracted to him. And so if you can, if you can grow and you can help God, let him chip off those areas of yourself that are ugly so that he can shine through. Not only is it gonna affect you, but it's gonna affect the people around you. So growth is just this incredible process, and I thank God that we, he doesn't just leave us where we are. He helps us to grow into those areas so that we look more and more and more like him. Well, this morning, I just want to close by praying, and um, I want to pray over you this morning, specifically in this area, but uh, I want to bless you too as you go out from this place. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you've put us on this earth for so many reasons. And God, I pray that you'd motivate us to step into this discipleship process so we'll look more like you tomorrow than our, or tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow than we did yesterday, God. That you'll bring us to that place, Lord, where there's no excuse that keeps us from moving forward and stepping into everything that you have for us because you have a purpose and you have a goal for us in mind, God, and you have created us for an awesome, awesome ministry. And Lord, we know that growth is so essential in that process that God help us not to just throw it by the wayside because of our selfishness or because of our hurt or because of the things that that offend us, but God, help us to step into everything you have for us with an open heart and an open mind, ready to receive anything you have. God, if we come upon those places that hurt, Lord, help us to give those things to you, go through the hurt so that we can be refined and we can be ready to do whatever you've asked us to do. Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room. God, you have appointments for them, spiritual appointments, God, heavenly appointments for them. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would meet those appointments, prayed up, ready to go, ready to say whatever you give them to say in, your, in their hearts. God, so that they can see transformation happen, not just in their lives, but in the lives of people around them. I pray that you bless each and every person on their way out the doors. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.